Hey, what's up? This is Matt Dietz, and this is None of My Business. This is the show where I get to sit down with creative, smart, and inspired entrepreneurs and leaders, and we talk about how they became that way. We talk about what their path has been like, because no business owner or entrepreneur or leader uh, is given a playbook on how to do those things. And so I love sitting down and picking the brain of people who have been successful on the path to being successful. And so we can all learn from each other. Uh, and today on the show, I have my good friend back, Jacob Nordby. So Jacob came in, we were going to have coffee. I was like, why don't you just come down to my office? I haven't seen you for a while. We've been good friends for a long time. And Jacob is the type of person that I will sit down with and I will talk for an hour and it feels like 10 minutes. And uh, we always have really good, fruitful, real conversations. Sometimes they're silly. Uh, sometimes they're serious. Uh, generally, they're a mix of both. But um, we have been friends for a long time and enjoy each other's company. And then a while ago, he was like, man, we should rec- we should just record these conversations we have. And I was like, yeah, we should. And then he came into my office and we were just kind of you know, chatting and catching up. He goes, do you want to record today? And I've got a couple microphones and I've got everything I need. And I was like, yeah, we should. So I sat down and we threw headphones on and threw microphones in our faces and we just had a conversation. And so I thought it was worth sharing for sure. We talk about a lot of, a lot of things. Now, Jacob and I are both you know, entrepreneurs, we both are creative. He's a little bit more creative than me, but um, he'd hate me. He'd hate me saying that. But we talk, we just kind of talk about what's going on in our life right now. We talk about um, how important it is for me to get permission to do things and why that's important. We talk about the fear of the unknown. We talk about how we've entered new chapters in our lives, not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, We talk about Dave Grohl because I'm obsessed with Dave Grohl and everything. That guy's my favorite business owner. So I tell some stories about that and Jacob tells some stories about some of the things he's going through. And so it's a great conversation, just like all of our conversations are. And it was, it was kind of fun just to record and document. Um, I'm, I'm into documentation. I'm into sharing my stories and, and this was a good one. So Jacob, thank you for coming on and here we go. All right, so I am joined today with my very dear friend, Jacob Nordby. Again, we uh, are just hanging out, and Jacob's like, we should record, because whenever we talk, we have uh, we think it's worth recording. So he's like, let's just turn the mics on and start talking shop. And I was like, okay, I have no problem creating content. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for the inspiration. And uh, yeah, what's what's going on? Well, I just love the opportunity to, um, A, visit my favorite insurance agent in his office. There you go. Genuinely. And uh, and also, when I walked in, I thought we were having lunch, but I don't usually eat till 4 p.m. And yeah. you said, I'm not that hungry. And I'm like, awesome, let's sit here, which then opens the opportunity to do this. There you go. So, Yeah, so I was just telling you a story that I'm getting ready to go on a, on a trip. And it's something that I turned 50 in February and you turned in March. May. <laughs> One of the M months, right? So now we're 50 years old, Jacob. What, how the hell did that the happen? fuck? <laughs> <laughs> how, how's 50 feel to you? Matt, I feel better today than when we, when we first met back when I was about 34. I feel more energized, more excited about my life. My body feels better. So uh, to me, 50 feels like an upgrade. 
Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I don't feel fit. My brain doesn't feel 50. Well, I feel healthy. You know, I'm in good shape. You know, there are things that happen when you get older, right? And you're like, you know, got to stretch a little bit more. Maybe your first step isn't as quick as it used to be or something like that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we're blessed that way, right? Yeah. To, to be able to still be healthy. But, um, yeah, I think there's, there's a comfort in in wisdom, I think, that comes with, you know, being alive for 50 years. And I feel yeah. more self-assured with a lot of things. I know you and I have both done a lot of work on ourselves and really, yeah. you know, doing a lot of that, you know, deep work about, you know, why do I feel this way? What does this mean? And really retracing steps, you know, to, you know, why we feel and why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't, I don't think... I don't know how many people do that, but I think it's invaluable to continue to grow and to give and to take care of yourself and to take care of the people around you. Um, But I love it. Like uh, you and I are both avid readers and uh, lifelong students. And so it's just become a really important part of who I am. You know, we want to become the best version of ourselves and, I think we take it pretty seriously. So, well, it's <laughs> but funny. have fun along the way too. Right? Yeah, like Carl Jung said, and I read it long ago. And he said, you know, life begins at forty, and explained that. But now, after ten years further down the road than forty, I feel the truth of that, Matt. Like the the years of you know zero through forty for a lot of us are, um, if you look at it through the kind of the lens of the um, Homer epics it's simpson uh close <laughs> yeah actually i think homer simpson probably has a lot more to speak to in the modern <laughs> age than no but the iliad is the going out that's the that's when we're you know we're developing this life and it's and this is our ego uh, which i don't say is a bad thing at all we're developing our accomplishments and our path in life and then the um the iliad and then the odyssey the odyssey is when we come home to ourselves and that mm-hmm. really for most of us starts around middle age yeah yeah well what's that journey been like for you <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's, it's so interesting man i'm sitting here looking at um this amazing picture action shot of dave grohl playing his guitar with his hair flying around behind you mm-hmm. and I, I love your connection to him to the the, the band um, and also in the ways you've talked to me about that, where he represents living fully inspired, fully engaged, passionately, you know, and growing, continuing to grow. Yeah. There's so much to that guy that I connect with for, for so many reasons and, and like so much so that I, I write about it and there's the way that he, he's been a guide of mine, you know, without ever meeting him, but yeah. I pay if, if there's something that I really connect with i will go all in you know i'll be like i want to know what that guy ate you know last thursday (laughs) you know who he talked to what he said and then so uh you know we live in the information age Mm -hmm. and there's so much stuff out there and dave's pretty private you know he's not on social media Mm -hmm. um but he has he's such a creative force um i've paid so much attention to, to anything that he puts out and just the way that he goes about doing his work I admire so much because he does everything in his voice and he does it his way. Um, and he doesn't do it. I don't think to, you know, buck the establishment or something like that. He just has, uh, a way that he likes doing things. And I've always respected that. And I tell a story. He talked about it in an interview that he did eight years ago 
He did a documentary on a recording studio where they recorded Nevermind when he was in Nirvana. And um, they were shutting that studio down. It was called Sound City. Hmm. And it was just this dive in Van Nuys, California. Just a to- like you would drive by it and think it was just a dumpy warehouse. But some of the greatest music ever was recorded in that between like the 70s and the mid 90s. Yeah, like Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty, hmm. like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like the, it's a Hall of Fame list of of bands that recorded there. Mm. And so he had, and nevermind was recorded there. And so he had, he's got a real tie to that. So he said, initially he just wanted to do a quick, maybe 15, 20 minute YouTube video just to pay homage to that. And then he did what he does, which is like, wait a minute. Well, I think we got something more here. And so he wound up doing a full fledged documentary. Um, it was an hour and a half. He wound up rounding up a ton of people that recorded there. You know, he got Stevie Nicks and he got Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails and he got Josh Homme and um, a, a bunch of people that had recorded there. He interviewed all of them. Um, the board, the recording board that was in that space was almost one of a kind. There were like five in the world or something like that. And it was, it was called a Neve board. I don't know what that means. I don't know what makes it great, but he does. And so he wound up buying the board and keeping it. It now resides in his home studio, which is amazing. And um, so they did a full documentary that he interviewed all these musicians. He interviewed the the people that work there. Um, He got the whole history behind it. He told a beautiful story. He wound up recording with 12 of those artists on that board, including Paul McCartney. And like he got, (laughs) so he got all his friends together. He loves to collaborate and they wrote all original music they put out a great album. They they went on six show tours or six shows, and like that's what he does. And the one thing that really struck me is that like when I did this, he goes, I wrote down like the path I wanted this documentary to look like, and he wrote an outline, mm. you know. And he goes, I didn't want any outside influence. He's like, I've never made a movie before. I don't know what kind of camera to use. I don't know what kind of equipment to use. He said, like, but I'm going to figure it out. And he don't, I don't want anyone from Hollywood coming in here, like telling me what to do or how to do it. And at the end of the day, he put, put out a beautiful product with some new music. It's a great documentary. And he says he looked back at that original outline and it was almost to a T, like exactly what he wrote down like months before. And so he just figures it out. He has the vision and he, he does the work and puts it out. And that's something that I've always admired. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I try and figure stuff out too and do it in my own voice. And that's really <laughs> important to me. And so, and, uh, I don't know, that's, that's why he's that guy and he inspires me. When I walked in today, you handed me, um, a birthday present, which is Rick Rubin's, the creative act, a way of being. And I've listened to him on podcasts, but I haven't read the book. So that's, I'm really excited about this. So good. Gift you just gave me, thank you for that. And you know, Matt, I, I don't have an agenda for this session with you, but I, I do love to reflect um, you in a way that I think a lot of people, if they could see themselves in a similar mirror, they'd begin to understand, I do have so many creative opportunities. So when I walk in your office, you've created, over the years, you've created a really tight um, team and a business 
and it's beautiful in here. And as I said, when I walked, when I walked in, it smells good. And, uh, <laughs> no, but it's, 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 there's artfulness here. Yeah. Walking into your office, there's things you care about, you know, um, here. So it's a reflection of you. So even though you're, you know, you developed a business inside of a larger system, um, that doesn't allow for much genuinely new stuff to happen within it, but you've also then found so many ways to express your life, um, including this podcast and including the way that you nurture relationships. Uh, and I'm one of those who was lucky enough to be in your circle for that. And, um, I think that a lot of times we put ourselves outside of the realm of, I get to have the kind of turned on creative life that Dave Grohl has not realizing we, everybody gets to do that I in their know. own way. Yeah. And I, you know, I want to tell you, you know, your role in my life has been really important because permission for one reason, permission is a word that I've been using a lot and it's been using, I've been using it with a lot of the agents that I'm coaching and, um, and even the people that coach me, mm-hmm. like permission is really important to me for one reason or another. Maybe it's because of the way I was raised, you know, so I have this weird, mm-hmm. you know, I was a middle child. Dude, I think a lot of us do. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was a middle child, Gen X, you know, I'm left-handed. <laughs> I've got all this, you know, that's a hot mess right there, you know, but, um, but. Hang on just a minute. <laughs> I'm the oldest child, Gen X and left-handed. That's also a hot so mess. Close. That's a hotter mess. <laughs> you have more responsibility, man, more pressure. I didn't, nobody knew where I was any of the time. So, um. But permission was, has become really important. Um, I like to do things in my own voice, but, but I also like to know that, uh, that I guess that I'm allowed, mm-hmm. you know, and I think my boundaries are pretty wide mm-hmm. um, as long as it's legal, moral, you know, sure. ethical. Yeah. Um, no one's going to get hurt. You know, I'm willing to try anything inside of those boundaries, you mm-hmm. know, and so... Um, but you've told me ever since I read your first book and then your second book and your third book, um, you know, you're the first one that kind of told me that I'm creative to the level that I, I guess I believed it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I, I, you know, I I tinker with things and do things, but that really gave me permission Mm. to, to do more of it, you know? And so when we redid my office three years ago, I was like, and that, cause we, I couldn't afford to redo my office. I put all my money back into my business and stuff like that. But after whatever, 15 years, we're like, I want this office to be like me, like what's important to me, yeah. you know? And so yeah. I was like, this is what's important to me. And, and I love it. I love coming in here and it's, I love people asking questions and there's some great conversation pieces and things like that. But, but even in the business itself, I like doing things um, differently than my peers do because I think. I think they see their boundaries a lot tighter mm-hmm. because maybe they haven't given, been given permission to try it wider. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to help newer agents discover, you know, give them license, give them permission yeah. just to try more. Like I'm all about the try mm-hmm. because what's the worst that can happen? That's one of my mantras, right? What's the worst that going to happen? Am I going to die? Am I going to go out of business? Is someone going to get hurt? all I really care about you know at the end of the day so like let's try it which is what's allowed me to you know really have a my fingerprint on you know my place in the industry and and my business well and I think you're making an important point there Matt in one of the um, 
one of the distinct principles of, so let's go back to just one of the very simple definitions of creativity is the process by which something rare, original, and valuable is formed. Somebody might say, look, I work in a job where there, most of the activities are already developed. Like I do this thing, I fill out this form, I follow up in this way. How was, how can I bring anything new, original and valuable to that? Yeah. But what you just said, I try. So the willingness to venture outside and say, how can I be in relationship to this activity in a way that still feels like me? It's yeah. still my version of that, even though I still have to check the right boxes and, and follow the rules in this way. It's still this version of it is still mine. And that's what you bring that to. I mean, as a client of yours, uh, long before you had a podcast, um, you brought that to me and you also brought, you know, the persistence and the follow-up and all the things that are part of a really, really effective sales process. But there was more than that to it for me. Cause I've had plenty of very persistent salespeople. I would never drive across town and sit in their office with them. Yeah. No, you, you brought an artfulness to the relationship and the other. So, but trying or doing something slightly different, coming into a different relationship with a thing also means we have to interact with the unknown. And to me, that is one of the most um, significant barriers in most people's lives to actually feeling that they are being creative in their life is, wow, when I step over that line, much like Dave Grohl, I don't know exactly how this is going to turn out. I have a vision for it. So what he focuses on is the end result, the thing that he would love, his vision. He doesn't focus too hard on the how. Right. Or who do I have to ask permission? It's like, you know what, this this overall thing, I want it to happen. I want it to happen in this way. How that's going to work, I'm not sure. But somehow it also ends up being matching the original inspired vision that he has. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of... I mean, there's risk in there, right? Like, people take risks and, like, what's the worst that can happen? And people... There's fear and all of that stuff. And I'll tell another quick story that I really like. I wa- I rewatched a documentary that was about the band. It's called Back and Forth. It's excellent. And it's about the first, whatever, mm, 10 years of the band. And he tells a story about when he... When Kurt Cobain died and he recorded his the first Foo Fighters album, hmm. he did it all by himself. So he did bass, drums, vocals, yeah. drum, um, guitar. Like he did the whole thing himself. He went into a buddy's studio, you know, recorded it in like six days. Mm-hmm. And he made like 300 cassette tapes or something like that. And then he just handed them out. And he didn't put his, he, he didn't say, you know, Dave Grohl's band. You know, he called it the Foo Fighters. And mm. he put it out and, it, you know, it was successful. And then he put a touring band together. When they went on tour and he was doing press for it, he said a lot of people, there, there was a, population of people that were angry at him Mm. because they were like you know how dare you Mm. go and do this you know after what had just happened you know how dare you and he was like he said you know well what do you mean you know like what loud crashing drums and guitars and vocals he's like that's what i do he goes he's that's what i do he goes what do you want me to make a fucking reggae record he goes, he goes, and you hear it again and again. He goes, and eventually, you know, he was pretty in tune with like what's important to him and he's putting his art out and his voice and stuff like that. And he mm. was like, he's like, I just got to the point where I was like, fuck you people, you know? And then that hit me just right, you know? And I was like, that's right, you know? Because there is a thing, right? You know, it, it's real to, to, to make decisions based on how other people are going to perceive you. How are they going to look at you? 
And that's a bridge that I think we all have to cross, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, you've got to be comfortable with the decisions that you're making because this is your life, you yeah. know, like do what you want to do. Yeah. And again, if you follow some of my rules, which is, is it, is it legal, moral, ethical, is, and, and will anyone get hurt? Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's a, that's a wide boundary, but it's one that I'm comfortable with. You know, those are the boundaries that I like. Look, it's a high standard, though. It provides a lot of flexibility. I have a very similar set for myself. And when I really apply it, it's like, oh, my God, that will change the way the decision I make in this situation. Yeah. Even though it feels really broad, it's like, yeah, it's actually very high standard, though. So I wanted to ask you, like, when you are about to enter something that uh, you haven't done before, but you've, you know, you've got the pull to do it or to try it. You know, what is your approach to starting a project like that or a business or whatever it is where it's like, you know, I want to do this. How do you, what's your approach to that? Because I have a, I've got an approach and I'm, I'm curious on what, what yours is. You know, like, like, I mean, you started a new business recently, you know, what's your approach when you want to try something that you've never done before? How do you, how do you jump in? <laughs> and what's your... <laughs> What's your path look like? I'm laughing because when we started this and then made a decision to actually record it, you were just saying, you know, you're going through this period of reset. Um, and I love, maybe tell about that in a minute too. I just feel like that's such an important thing of shaking the Etch-A-Sketch a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother Nate just took his oldest daughter on standby tickets to, to Croatia, Croatia I know. for like 10 days. And all of that is astonishing to me. I love it. That he did it. He put himself outside his comfort zones in major ways. Nate tends to really like to know what his plan's going to be. And so even just the standby ticket alone. Right. And then uh. I'm in a place where I can't read the road signs. I'm renting a car. <laughs> we're driving to Rome. We're doing... Anyway, I'm just so proud of him for doing that. Um, because Nate is a guy who, in the past, always put himself outside of the, you know, creativity thing. He's like, no, I don't... I'm not, I'm not creative. And I'm like, wait a minute. Your approach to life and your approach to growth and all of that is deeply creative. But... For me, um, let's get Nate in here. Nate. Yeah, actually, <laughs> Pull up a chair. I think you'd really enjoy him on here sometime. Nate, Nate has been in such a um, steep growth path for the last few years. He's really like for me, it's less impressive for those of us who don't deal with so much anxiety about uncertainty. And I'm going to get to your question in just a moment because this is related. Like some of us just are more naturally not as tied to looking dumb, being afraid of that. I'm not. That's not one of my things. I get afraid of being misunderstood. Like my intention, if I put something on social media and people say that was hurtful or bad in some way, I'll actually feel triggered by that. Definitely. I don't mind looking dumb. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's just not part of my wiring. Mm-hmm. Other people, other members of my family, that's a that's a big point they have to work on. Yeah. So when I when I start a project, you know, in last year, we <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna love this shit, Matt. So I'm driving down the road after visiting friends listening to Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. I've always loved that book. I was thinking of doing something with her and had wanted to in the in a previous um, job. I my, One of my jobs was to acquire talent and help put these retreats and, and events together. Her ticket price was always way too much. Like, you know, just her baseline fee was like for the company I was working for. They're like, yeah, we can't afford it. So anyway, I'm driving down the road, listening to this thing, going, wow, I've really always had this dream, always had a dream of working with her. Um, and then, you know, in the first part of her book, she's talking about her son, Sam, who I am friends with and was on his podcast years ago. 
And so I texted Sam, risked my life, texted Sam, hey, <laughs> your bro. your insurance guy you're going to tell this to. Yeah, let's not. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, I didn't end up with points in my license. But no, but I, I texted Sam and said, hey, brother, it's been a long time. Uh, love to reconnect with you. He texted back. And then I flew down there a week later and said, I have this idea. Is it even possible? Can we put it together? Um, this idea of, okay, I know Julia Cameron. I know Sark. I know of your mom. I've never met her. I would love to put something together. And he's like, that sounds like a, maybe we can do it. So I, I assembled in my mind, in my imagination, I assembled and realized that I really need to do this, a vision of what it was that I wanted to come together. You know, and I, the good news is I do have some experience with events, but what I wanted to come together meant that I was going to break a lot of the rules I had learned in coming up through the events business. Yeah. Like I'm probably going to pay people too much you know, too much. Right. Um, I'm going to expand it. So it's not just in person. It's also hybrid, which adds a layer of technology and cost. Um, the previous company I was with didn't ever want to touch that. Um, I'm going to do it in Marin, California, which means there's travel. There's the unknown. I don't know where we're going to put this thing. What was interesting, Matt, is it, as soon as I had sort of soft yeses from the various presenters, just, just soft though, like, okay, I'm thinking about this. Um, the line went dead for like 45 days. Nobody was getting back to me. I'm struggling to find a venue. Like all of a sudden the weight of I'm really signing up to put something together that I'm on the hook for 80, $90,000 if we don't sell a single ticket. Um, so that fear started to set in, but then I would sit down because I have a journaling practice. I would use that every morning and I would retell myself the story of the end result. Okay. Nice. There's this snapshot of me on stage handing the mic to Anne Lamott and the crowd is there and their faces are just so open. Some of them have tears on their, in their eyes. They're so grateful that we put this together and there's this sense of accomplishment. And so I began to focus more and more on that end result of that's the feeling I want. And so in between the how began to work out, but the many days there were, I mean, I, I would be doing everyone a disservice to say there weren't some days I didn't wake up at 3 a.m. terrified. Like, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> what have I done? This could turn out very badly. When I stood on stage at the end of October last year and we had far exceeded our financial expect expectations, we had 260 people in person, we had over a thousand online. The financial had worked out, but more importantly to me, the, the spirit of the thing had actually come together. It's like we fucking did it. Oh my God. We did it. It worked. So that, I think I just gave you a long ass answer of, of the process. And that actually reinforced to me things that I've written and, and teach people, which is imagination is always the first thing. Yeah. Most of us have our imaginations tweaked at, or at an early age, Gen X. Oh my God. We, it was almost like an institutionalized, you're going to quit imagining a good life or things working out. Um, and so learning to retrain our imaginations to begin to even pick out a snapshot like that yeah. and say, that's how I want it to feel. That's how I want. And then holding that in the process of the how working itself out, I would say that has become such a, an important part of the process for me. And also a recurring lesson that when I veer from that, when I start getting too tangled up in the how and look, the how is important, mm -hmm. but in terms of acquiring the creative fuel needed to actually get to the what 
the experience, um, it's, it's a real discipline to keep holding the how lightly and saying, okay, well, I'm going to turn it this way. That venue didn't work out. We're going to go to the next one on the list. Okay. That turned out to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So it can be this really, and, and people who, um, I recommend doing it in baby steps. Don't put yourself on the line for a hundred thousand dollars in cost, you know, immediately, you know, unless you have some of those assets in place. So start with smaller stuff, but actually begin to practice that holding the unknown in one hand and how it will work out and the other in the other hand but this is what i'm committed to creating yeah well there are about seven directions i want to go with that <laughs> uh so like the f one the, the one that comes to mind last that's on the tip of my tongue is like the fact that you were investing your own money and the amount that it was is may or may not be well i think it is important um because i've entered a new space where i'm coaching um, agents mm -hmm. and, I, and I hired a company to help me because I hit a blind spot with some of my sales. And I, I don't think you and I have talked about this yet, mm -hmm. but, but I hired a company about four months ago cause I was like, sales are okay. I have an online training platform. It's all self-directed, right? Yeah. So it's like 50 modules, 13 hours and how to run a business. And if people follow that and, and, and put all those things into play, like it's a great training. Mm -hmm. Like people will be be significantly more successful, significantly faster than if they're going at it on their own because I teach you what to do and what not to do. And it's 18 years of experience just there, you know? And so I want to, I want them to get where I was at year 10 in like year three or four. And that's, that was the whole premise, but, but not many people are, are good at self-directed training. You know, I, I watch people buy and watch three or four and then just get back to their daily habits, which yeah. were not good, you know, or, yeah. or, or they weren't good enough to, to accelerate at the pace they wanted to. And I'm not holding their hand. I'm like, fine, you bought the thing, like the thank you, you know, but, um, why aren't you doing the work? You know? So one of the things that I learned in mm. this training, which is really interesting was that my pricing was too low. Like mm. I was charging 1300 bucks for it. And you were telling me this for years because mm. I was really struggling. I can't tell you how many agents came to me and they're like, it's too expensive. I can't afford it. It's too sure. expensive. I can't afford it. Yeah. And I, you hear that enough, you start to believe it, mm. you know? And I came to you and I was like, Jacob, like no one's buying this thing. And they're saying it's too expensive. And you leaned into it hard. I, 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 I remember it like it was yesterday. You're like, Matt, they absolutely will. Mm. He's like, and I was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't think this, I can't find them. You know, he's like, they will. It's like, you're, you're either not looking in the right place or it's position. There's something that's missing there. Mm. And the thing that, so then I hired this company, which has been great. And, um, they helped me put together the value statement and stuff like that. Mm. And they're like, Hey, if they do all of this, like, what is that worth to them on the bottom line? Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know. Let me think. And so I started running some numbers. I'm like, well, if I, if they can, if I can teach them to do, to write an extra 10 policies a month, you know, that's an extra thousand dollars a month in premium times 12. So that's $12,000 there, but it's not just for one year because in my business, they're going to make that again next year because of renewals. So they're gonna make $12,000 this year, $12,000 next year, plus another $12,000 from the renewals. That's 36,000. So it adds up pretty quick. And then then I, I'm like, what if you hired the right person mm -hmm. and I teach how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. What does it, what does it mean to you to hire a bad person? And I've asked agents, they're like, I mean, it's $20,000 yeah. if you hire the wrong person because they don't produce, yeah. you got to pay them. 
and then you got to fire them. And after four months of that, it's $20,000 or whatever it is, you know, which doesn't quantify the loss of vital life energy enthusiasm. <laughs> right. It's dragged out as part of that process <laughs> right. as they're dying slowly inside too. I didn't put a number to that, right. but I should. So anyway, it came, I, I did a, what if, what if you could stop buying shitty internet leads? Yeah. People are spending thousands of dollars a month on a process that a they month. don't, that, yeah, that they don't understand how to work. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they don't work. I've adjusted my stance on that, but it, it's a different kind of work and it's sure. more expensive than that. And so, so after everything said and done, I came up with a number that's close to ninety thousand dollars. You know, I can get you ninety thousand dollars in your pocket yeah. if you let me. Yeah. And once I started having conversations with agents and asking the right questions, you know, and then so my pricing is very different. It's fifty six hundred now for wow. the full thing, and now I'm doing one on one coaching. Yeah. And so I have some clients now that are buying the whole thing, um, and it's like it's a twelve thousand dollar package, you know, for twelve months, and they get me one on one. And, um, that was really, it took me a while to get, com and, and my coaches are still like, Matt, you're, you're still too low. <laughs> like you're still too low. I mean, you're helping them make, you know, $150,000 and you're only charging 12. Sure. I'm like, fine, let's, we'll get there. Now let me, let me get some wins here first. And I've, I've had some early wins and I'm going to onboard some more, but I had a client that I coached for eight months and I helped him pare his team down from six employees to four without any sacrifice in production. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm. I was like, I was like, Blake, how much was your payroll in 2021? And he was like, he pulled up his QuickBooks. He's like, it was $350,000. I was like, All right, what was it in 2022? And he goes, it was $225,000. Mm. So like, I'm like, can you please write me a testimonial? Cause I saved him $125,000. Wow. I mean, and that's, and I, so those, those are really important I had to really reframe my process so that I could feel comfortable asking for numbers that I would have never dreamed of asking, you know? Sure. And so, um, so that's been really, it's really been exciting and it's been fun. And, um, yeah, I'm still new in this journey and helping new agents is really exciting. I get a lot of joy out of it and, um, it's fun. So I just need some more early wins, get some more testimonials and then, you know, hopefully word of mouth. Eventually you want word of mouth so that you got to hire Matt, you got to hire Matt. So, well, I just, I love that story and I love having, you know, been your, your friend and you've invited, you know, my opinion along the way in different times. And I always feel honored by that because, um, but it means a lot to me to hear that you're, you're seeing it come into fruition. I mean, when I when you and I first sat at Push and Pour Coffee Shop. Yeah, I still have the schematic that you drew up. I do. You're like, this is what you need to do. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, but there you go, man. I mean, that's several years ago that we had that conversation. You had an idea. You brought me in. I just let a bunch of ideas happen. But then all through this process, I mean, I've been close enough to the project because you've used my brother Nate to help you with the websites and things. In fact, just this morning, he pulled it up as an example. Yeah. And uh, we were looking, I was looking at some of the enhancements and developments you guys have, have been doing. I just love, I love seeing a thing come into fruition like that, you know, and, you know, this is a business side point. But one thing I've learned also in working directly with people is, I mean, I grew up very poor and I tend to... I really want to make it the stuff that I put out there accessible to people financially. I don't want it only to be for the people who have tons of extra income um, to, to play with. And <laughs> I've had to learn the hard way over the years that 
your guy who's paying you $12,000 a year is showing up with his best self in a different way than he would if he had paid you $500. Right. And that was my original point with what you were saying. Like you put 90 grand towards this dream of yours. And when I invest in something for myself, whether it's a lot of times it's for training or something to help me get better in something for my business. And, um, I bought some programs that I thought were ludicrous and it wasn't, I mean, it was $2,200 to learn this or something like sure. that. Like all I give a shit about is getting my money back. Like that's, I, there needs to be some, some pain there needs. So I want them to be like, well, I want them to show up every week when yeah. we have our call. Yeah. You know, if, if I was charging them $300 a month, mm-hmm. like they would maybe come, they'd be late or stuff like that. Sure. And the other thing that, that my coaches are telling me is like, you're going to end up working with people that you adore working with um, and who are willing to do the work that you're asking them to do because there's a pain to that cost. And like the, you're going to track the right people you don't want the hundred dollar a month people that kind of just want the work done for them you know yeah and so when when you you know wrote that check i know that you're nervous and scared and you're like god i hope this works you know what if it if it didn't work you would have been fine you know it would have sucked and it would have hurt and you would have learned your lessons and all that shit you know but um but you sure did work harder, yeah, you know, yeah, than yeah, if yeah. it was a five thousand dollar deposit or something. No, we like burned that. the boats, man. It's like right. I'm on shore now. This is <laughs> there's no way back. Yes. <laughs> well, and I've done that a few times. You know, it's. Um, I was going back to what you were talking about, though, with your your connection with these people and how they show up and how they get how they get to actually get the value from you that you've earned like that's one thing over the years watching you you know be my agent not just as a concept or as a friend it's like i know i know what you do in your business because i've experienced it yeah and i know that if other people because you're not you're not braggadocious you're not constantly showing the trophies you win and all that i mean i love i love it when you post a picture of you at one of your golf tournaments that's a that's an award tournament but in general, I, I find you to be very humble, you know, very accessible for people. But I also know you've accomplished a lot in your business. And I know that that gives you a level of authority that creates, you're trustworthy. You're worthy of their trust and you're worthy of them actually doing the things you fucking tell them yeah. that will work. Yeah. And I do, sometimes I wish there was a little bit more because I, I, I'm proud of what I've done. You know, I'm proud of what I built and things like that. And I could be more in your face about certain things. And it probably, I'm still trying to walk that line. See, if you were better at that, you'd just run for president. (laughs) I did all these things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, we do need a good president. I would vote for you, Matt, but then that would mean we probably couldn't hang out as much. Well, maybe like you could be on my ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have some baggage, buddy. They all do, man. They all do. Uh, yeah, but I do sometimes. Yeah, I think I, but I don't like to. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not braggy. But there are things. That, so I really pick my spots. Yeah. And I know sometimes I, you know, try and try and put out stuff to to grab people's attention. But I, you know, I want my results to speak for themselves. And I want yeah. at this point, I want the agents that I'm working for or, or that have hired me. I want. I want them to tell the story for me. Yeah, you know, yeah. At the end of the yeah. day, I want them to be like, 
Matt changed my life, yeah. you know, or those are the things that I'm really kind of fishing for right now. And it's going to come through hard work from them and, and connection with me and things like that. And so, but you're also living the life. I know I'm interrupting you, but I just want to just highlight here, Matt, you are living the life that you're saying to them is possible. Like you're getting ready to get on a plane and then trains for 21 days with your kids and your wife. And that's one of the dreams a lot of people have, whatever their version of that is. Mm -hmm. The fact is you're actually walking that life and you get to say the stuff I'm sharing with you, the shit works. It makes it possible. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I want you talked on you. You, you said something earlier that I wanted to talk about and it's about journaling and writing Mm. because, um, I have always, for one reason or another, enjoyed documenting, I guess, just stuff for my life. Yeah. Like, And I'm finding out it's a little bit more unique because like back in the day, pre-internet days, like when I was in college, I had a micro, I bought a micro cassette recorder yeah. with the little tapes and I would carry that around. Like when I was out with my friends and like we were out at the bar or we were partying or we were doing, and, and I would actually speak into it sometimes. That was my form of journaling for a while as I would talk, like I would talk into this thing. And I, I still have like 20 old tapes like stored somewhere wow. from like my, I have, I have my 21st birthday. Like they carried around and, and like I was the only guy doing this and looking back, maybe it was weird. Maybe it wasn't, but, but Dietz is the guy with that recorder. Right. <laughs> and like, as soon as I could afford a video camera, mm. I bought one. I'll never forget it. I was, I just graduated from college and I went to Best Buy and it was $650 and it was like more than I could afford, but I bought one anyway and I carried it around and I wanted to document things. And from a journaling standpoint, it's something that I tried for many, many years. Hmm. I just felt like it was something I should be doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and it wasn't probably until the last three or four or five years that it's become, it's been a long habit for me to really build. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But with the help of you and some of the stuff that you've put out and, you know, some of the reading that I've done, I believe in, you know, writing stuff down because it, it makes it real. It puts it in the world. And yeah, so exactly. journaling for me, it's not something that I do daily. Even yet, I strive to do it. Uh, it's probably 12 to 13 entries a month. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but there are times where I'm like, I got to write, you know, and I write for a number of reasons. I write because I got too much shit in my head and I need to get it out. Right. Sometimes it'll be a, just a dump and it's fun. Uh, sometimes if you ever just sat down and written every thought that comes through your head, have you ever done that? Oh, sure. It's, it's really <clears throat> interesting because I'm ADD anyway. And so it's like, I'm all <laughs> over the place with stuff like that. Um, but sometimes I will write you know, what's happening in my life and my relationships with my wife or my child or my business. I'll write about my business and my goals. Um, you have a very, can you tell me your real simple three-step journaling prompts that, that I just taught my kids recently? So like, <laughs> tell me what those are because those are kind of the bedrock. If I know I need to write, but I'm just, I'm not feeling like motivated. You've got three really simple prompts that, yeah. that really just t- switch things on and, and I can get a full page or two from just doing that <laughs> yeah what the three questions are it's now a program that i give away for free um question one is how do i feel right now that has the benefit of getting us back into our body and into the present moment how do i feel right now 
And People that, don't ask themselves that. Right. Yeah. That can be, oh, I feel like I need to pee, or I feel really <sighs> tired, or I feel super excited, or whatever it is. Just the yeah. honesty of what does how I feel right now. And because we're taught at such an early age to quit it, to quit paying attention to how we feel, um, for a lot of people, that's by itself a pretty revolutionary question. How do I feel right now? Second question is, um, what do I need right now? And again, brings me back to the present moment. What do I right. need right now? Um, and the third one is, what would I love? And I sometimes adapt that depending upon where I'm. If I'm going through some rough waters or whatever, how would I love to feel right now? Essentially, you're asking yourself a creative question. What, what would I love what would I love to create forward? Um, whether that's a feeling like I've walked into, you know, I've been journaling ahead of a, of a, uh, a first big meeting with somebody and was feeling the anxiety. It was like, how would I love to feel right now? Oh, I'd love to feel confident and just at ease and open and just putting that out there then begins to create, it, it adjusts my mind. So I'm actually more focused on that than the anxiety feelings or the spinning I'm doing. You know, there's something that um, is in that same vein. And I heard Bill Hader, yeah, you know, Bill Hader, sure. he's, he's very open about his anxiety. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating that he's achieved what he's achieved in the space that he's achieved it, mm. being an entertainer in movies and Saturday Night Live, which is the scariest place on earth, right? <laughs> um, but he was successful there, but he had crippling anxiety, yeah. you know? And he said something in a podcast uh, years ago that I remember, and he was like, he was like, if I was anxious before I had to go out on stage, I would just say that out loud. Yeah, I'm fucking scared to death right now. Right. And he's like, there's something there where you're taking the power back somehow you're admitting it and your anxiety will drop enough to help you endure whatever you're going to endure. And like, I still get really nervous if when I'm in front of a crowd of people, like Mm. when I'm speaking and things like that, I really like, I won't sleep well, like I I will over prepare (laughs) and, um, I'm really self-conscious about what is is this, what they need to hear and is this going to be good enough and, and all that other stuff. And I'm still trying to overcome some of that stuff. But I always thought that, you know, while you said you were writing before going into a meeting, what you wrote, I think that's another tool that, that I thought has been, I would have never thought of that. Just admit that you're in a, you're in a messy headspace and, uh, and that's okay. You know, and, and that's really helped him and probably a ton of other people too. Well, Matt, I'm always astonished by, you know, because I have developed this practice daily and it's, it's something I try to get to first thing. Um, and so I'll wake up, you know, and wow, I'm thinking about all these things and there's, you know, like, wow, that, that happened last week and this is connected to that. And it just feels like a mess. And I've just noticed to your point, it doesn't have to have a specific, even if you don't use the three prompts or anything, simply just writing it all out and acknowledging it, giving it voice that shifts my state. And sometimes I am astonished by how much differently I feel 15 minutes after having scrawled it all down to how I felt before that. Yeah. Not all personalities are wired that way. Some people are much more compartmentalized and they can go, well, that thing that's happening, that's over here. I'm focused. I'm clear today. Many of us though, have these overlapping, you know, uh, feelings and, and toiling over how that connects to this. And so just some, sometimes the act of just merely writing it all out, even if it's not nicely bullet pointed or anything else. There's no particular clear outcome, just that act alone. And what I've become to understand, um, psychologically is each one of those voices represents some part of ourself. 
And much like, uh, I know you're, you're a dad, my kids are all in their twenties now, but when they were little, what I had to learn was you don't ever win by ignoring a toddler. They're going to get more and more insistent. Daddy, I need a drink. Daddy, I need a drink. <laughs> right. Hang on a minute. I'll be right there. Daddy, I need you. eventually something's going to break. They're going to push something. They're going to get your attention. Yeah. So the, the same way psychologically when we're using a journaling practice or, or some version of that, we're actually telling the different voices in our head that are getting louder and louder and more and more insistent, um, you matter. And yeah. let me hear what you have to say, even if it's for only 10 minutes. Have you ever written, because um, I catch myself doing this sometimes, and you find you're not being 100% honest with what you're writing. <laughs> you know, sure. you're kind of writing maybe what you wish you felt, yeah, yeah. or you're writing what you think somebody else thinks you should feel. And that's a kind of an interesting space to explore too, because yeah. I'm like, I'm writing this, and I'm like, I think this is what this person would want me to be yeah. writing, but it's not really what I'm feeling. Do you ever write that out itself, like that part of the dialogue? No. I do sometimes. Yeah. Like I'll stop myself and say, hang on, that feels like bullshit. Yeah. And I'll, I'll actually just let my like, pen... Why aren't you really writing what you're feeling totally. right now? You yeah. Know? Like what are you afraid of and stuff like that? And so I'm always interested in... Yeah. So I'll say it like Simon Sinek's, you know, start with why sure. like that. I've always fucking hated that. Like, I think that's a, like, well, no shit. You know, like, I feel like <laughs> I first, I'd never connected with that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get it. Like yeah. we should be doing things for a purpose. Right. Yeah. But being told that I always thought that that was just a given, you know, of course we should be doing things for the right reason. Like I've, I've never, it never res- it felt kind of pedestrian to me, you know, sure. the way, and like, I know he's a brilliant guy and a great writer and stuff like that, but that one, and it became a buzzword and I was like, well, what's your why? And like, I, I was like, fuck, you know, if you don't know your why, like, what are you even doing? Like it, it always drove me nuts. Sure. Um, so that's, I don't even know where I was going with that, but Simon Sinek. Do you mind if I, I mean, one thing I hear in that, one of the reasons, because I, I feel, I did feel, have felt similarly to you about that. It's like, this is fucking kindergarten stuff. And the reason it's so revolutionary is how um, little self-discovery is built into our society, into our culture. Yeah. And so even the act of saying, why am I doing this? So that's where I was is going. a big deal. Yeah, for that's where I was going with that. So like there are times, it's, it, it, why I'm feeling a certain way is really important to yeah. me because that's where I think the growth comes from. And it comes from having com- maybe difficult conversations with a spouse or a friend or whatever like that. You know, you can go head to head with somebody about something that's trivial and it can really blow up. Yeah. Um, and, and, and revisiting it is sometimes like you, sometimes you can't do it in the moment, right? right? Cause you're so heated for one reason. And then you've got to go to your separate corners and then you kind of decompress and you're like, why, why do I feel, is this just because I want to win this argument? Like what's really important here. Yeah. So really evaluating why you're feeling what you're feeling. There's yeah. so much junk inside of us from our past and yeah. from, from things that have happened to us that we're naturally going to be triggered for any myriad of reasons. And that's normal and it's fine. Yeah. But if, but identifying it so you're not repeating it um, or you're getting out of that faster um, has been really important. And you and I have talked a lot about ego and like, you know, ego is like our protector. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, but it's also sometimes 
points you in the wrong direction. It, I think sometimes it's protecting you from maybe something that's not a real risk, you know, and that's important yes. to know too. So we live in a society where people just want to win instead of doing what's right. And like, that's not right. You know, like, so that's why the Ted Lasso scene, like be <laughs> curious, not judgmental is like one of my North stars. Like that whole yeah. scene was really important to me. And like, it's what we're trying to teach our kids and stuff like that. Mm. Like, be curious, be curious, be curious. And, um, well, look at Ted Lasso. And by the way, you're the first one who told me about that show. And I become, I mean, I, the, I'm sure you've, you're, you're done with it. We're right? done. Yeah. Okay. The last two episodes, man, I'm, I'm just sitting there watching it by myself, just tears running in my face. Oh, Cause yeah. it's so fucking beautiful <laughs> and wholesome and, and good, you know, yeah. it's like really good. Yeah. I know yeah. that show we've watched it multiple times because it's worth it. And it's, it's so layered and, yeah. um, <laughs> the characters are phenomenal. And the, the, the journeys that those characters, many of those characters took in really 36 episodes, which is a short arc for any, yeah, for any show um, was was phenomenal, and so well, and I loved watching a leader exemplified by this Ted Lasso, and he's goofy, and he's like a big Labrador puppy. He just jumps around and says goofy things. But I actually loved watching how effective. The, like we don't have many models that are elevated of leadership like that. We assume that they're hard, they're Type A, they're opinionated, they're dominant. Right. And here's a guy who actually very effectively led. And maybe it's because I tend to be more like that kind of a person versus the command and control type that it's like, it gives me some hope and like, oh yeah, you can really lead effectively inside of who you really are. Yeah. You know? And the way that they exposed like his flaws and his inner demons were just, oh you just God. felt so bad for him. Like I talked to my, to my wife, you know, Heather, who's a psychiatrist and like there's a, there's the scene in the first season where, um, you know, they win the big game at the town that they hadn't won in in 60 years. And um, so they're all out part and they're all celebrating and things like that. And he's, this is the night that he had to sign the divorce papers mm. for, and like that was something cause he never quits things, yeah. you know, and he will work through things with just buckets load of positivity. And he's, you know, he doesn't, you know, so anyway, he had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And he's in this club and they're singing karaoke and the way it was shot was amazing. And Heather was like, he's like, they portrayed that breakdown so perfectly because that's the way that she's had it explained to her from people that have had nervous breakdowns. Like all the sound goes away. There's a light ringing. Everything goes fuzzy. You start shaking and he exits the club. Mm -hmm. And she's like, that was a really perfect, like representation on what it's like to really have a panic attack. And yeah. So, but so yeah, having his flaws come out was such a, a kind of a pattern disrupt for that character because he was so Ned Flanders, you know, for so long. <laughs> oh, funny. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. I yeah. didn't realize that's who. Yeah. Who and and so to have him, you know, be more relatable that way or to see a different side was really just, you know, expose the depth of what that show was about. Those characters yeah. had were just exposed so beautifully, I thought. So I hope you don't have anything for the rest of the day. And this could be like a 15 hour podcast. Yeah, I just go. want to sit and chat with you for the rest <laughs> of the day. No, really, Matt, I, I love this um, with you and, and your friendship. Thank you for, uh, thanks for turning this into a pop-up uh, session. Yeah, man. This is just a, this is just a Wednesday afternoon with Matt and Jacob. So like <laughs> I, I would do it every Wednesday if you wanted to, but I know you got another podcast and you're cheating on me with someone else and <laughs> doing this. So, <laughs> 
and it's great. You guys have great banter and talk about important stuff. So keep doing what you're doing. So thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, I will put a plug in for uh, Smartless. Oh my god. Okay. Did you have you watched this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So for everyone who those guys. Right, I mean, sitting here with you, I keep hearkening back to Smartless because I just love their chemistry and and uh, how easy they are with each other. You know. So there was one. So those guys are hilarious for starters. They're obviously <laughs> they love each other, but you know the way they share love is is entertaining. You know, <laughs> and so. Um, but there was one great. There was it was the Chicago episode when they were on the plane, and it mm. was probably ten minutes in the beginning of the episode where they had a real real conversation that you could tell came from the heart and it was about it was three really good friends talking about tough stuff and like they let the cameras roll mm-hmm. and um i was like that's you know that's what it's about right there like they were loving each other up and talking about their childhoods and they were being serious and it was really neat so in yeah. the middle of all of what they do and the madness and the shit they give each other like they they have a pretty special bond those three i think that's why I think that's why it feels so magnetic and good because the underlying truth is there's so much genuine love and safety in their connection. Yeah. Otherwise it would just feel cruel a lot of the time. You know? Well, there's one thing too that I don't know if you've noticed it and you and I have, have done it, but like we tell each other, we love each other, which yeah. is amazing. And that's nothing that our parents would have done. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, Jay, Mo- I don't know. Jay Moore wrote a book 15 years ago and it's really funny. But he talks about, in the beginning, he talks about how, you know, he tells his kids that he loves him. He's like, I'm an, I am an I love you dad. Yeah. And he goes, you know, my dad didn't say it. He's like, my grandparents didn't say it. And he goes, and I feel like there's a, there's a change coming mm-hmm. where that's going to be more of the fabric of, you know, the way people talk to each other. And um, I remember the first time I told one of my friends that I loved him. I was like 18 years old. Wow. And this is so stupid, but it was right. It came from a like there's the there's a John Mellencamp song, and I was John I'm from the Midwest, and I was a big John Mellencamp <laughs> fan. But there's this song, and I can't remember the uh, God. Um, I can't remember. It might have been. I don't remember the name of the song, but but he goes, he talks, he sings about it. He's like, you can't tell your best buddy that you love him. Mm. And I was like, and then that you know, I, I listened as a teenager a thousand times, yeah. and I had a great connection with with. Uh, guy that I met he's still one of my best friends today and we're sitting outside getting in getting ready to go into a party and I looked at him I go hey man I love you and like that was this is like 1991 right and like a little out of the uh, out of nowhere and he looked at me and he smiled and he's like I love you too and like we've said it ever since yeah. and I say it's a Andy and Queda and like all, yeah. all of my friends and um, I see more men doing it with yeah. each other, and I think it's important. And I have seen my kids who are 16 and 14 say I love you to friends of theirs. Yeah. And it just fills my heart. I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like, well, I didn't say that in high school, you know, and yeah. things like that. And the world needs so much of that right now. Totally. You know? and so, more than ever. Yeah. 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 So thank you for being open to that because I do. I love you. Yeah, I love you too, Matt. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think... Oh, I don't want to go off on another tangent. There's just, <laughs> there's so much to talk about. But anyway, I appreciate you coming in and recording. This is just, this is just me and you bantering back and forth. So, yeah. So thanks. All right. Bye, buddy. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed the, 
the loose banterings of two good friends and business owners. Uh, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on again and just sharing your thoughts. Uh, I always enjoy so much talking with you and I learn from you and I love being around you. And uh, so thank you for everything. Hey, my name is Matt. This is none of my business. Uh, you can find me all over the place. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Deets Agency. And my blog is at DeetsAgency.com. So check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Keep up the good work. Anywhere the wind blows, anywhere the fireflies.